0: Alan Brundrett was first elected mayor of Azel in 2011, and during his tenure, Azel has experienced earthquakes. We'll probably talk about that. We're going to take points off for anybody who says seismicity. Um, uh, he, he has, has
1: testified,
0: testified at activity? Okay. earthquakes or you know shaking the China. He's testified at legislative hearings regarding these earthquakes and has appeared on the Rachel Maddow Show on MSNBC. Previously, he served on Azle City Council and is chair of the Tarrant County Mayor's Council. Scott Tinker has served as director of the Bureau of Economic Geology here at UT Austin and is the state geologist of Texas. He previously worked in the oil and gas industry for 17 years in research exploration and development and is the past president of the American Association of Petroleum Geologists. He's a member of the National Petroleum Council and director of the Advanced Energy Consortium. Todd Staples, Served as the state's agriculture commissioner from 2007 to 2014. He served in the Texas Senate before that, in the Texas House before that, and on the Palestine City Council before oh, wait a that. Minute. where? Palestine. There you go. I always make that you. up. At all. you, so I get in trouble. Right, back it's home. always a 50-50 on, on, on that thing. He's now the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association. And Beth Van Dyne is currently serving her second term as mayor of Irving. She liked it so much the first time she came back. Uh, she's a member of the U.S. Conference of Mayors Advisory Board, the Texas Municipal League, and the North Central Texas Council of Government. She's also a member of the executive boards of the North Texas Commission and the Irving Las Colinas Chamber of Commerce. Thank you all very much for coming. I appreciate it. I guess the easiest place to start this because we're at the intersection of oil and gas activity and um, not-in-my-backyard politics. Um, why are, is the oil industry shaking their plates in Irving and Hazel? <laughs> Well,
1: um, I think you need to really look at this and answer that question. What is shaking the place, but is it the oil and gas industry? And I I applaud the legislature for not only appropriating resources, but actually increasing the amount of resources that Chairman Darby, under his leadership for the Bureau of Economic Geology, to uh, deploy seismometers to make certain that the resources are there. I mean, the reality is that earthquake swarms appeared in Connecticut, where there is no oil and gas activity. We know that there's been swarms of earthquakes uh, in Greene County, Alabama, and it's been ruled that it was not, the causation is not oil and gas. So people rightfully need to know what is causing this to occur, but I think you need to go to real science and find those answers, and the oil and gas industry supports that. We want that information just as much as anyone does in Hazel or Irving or anywhere else in Texas, and we're supportive of that appropriations in the process is going to be taking place.
0: Do you think oil and gas industry is not causing it, or do you think that they might not be causing it? Well, do you think it's unestablished, uh, or do you think it's determined that they're not?
1: Well, I, I think this, the SMU study that, that came out at the end of their study, they said, we need more data to really know. One of the things that the media tried to do was to say that uh, oil and gas and fracking was causing earthquakes, and they said fracking in this instance was not the case. I think it depends on the geology and depends on where you are. I think... Uh, putting pressure on a, a, on a fault line is something that we need to know and, 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 and move that somewhere else if that's the case. And I think this information, that, uh, this study that's going to be conducted, will give us that information. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 the industry very much supports that, in, in that approach.
0: Mr. Brundrette, do you uh, disagree with this?
2: I mean, I think the study's already there for the most part. Of course, they always need more information, and science is not exact. We can't send a little guy in a tunnel down there to see exactly what's happening. Only thing we can do is see what happened here and what happened there, and what the results of it seem to be. I mean, it's all guesses, and it's all just best guesses, Um, but it's like common sense tells you there was nothing there before. We poked a bunch of holes in the ground, sucked stuff out, put stuff down, and all of a sudden we started having earthquakes. So it kind of seems like a common sense thing to me. And I'm not against oil and gas. We need it, the state needs it. We just need to do it in the right spot. Um, I mean, it seems to me the industry knows where the faults are before they drill. Because with all the seismic studies they do and, and everything, they can see that for the most part. I'm not a scientist, so I can't say for sure. But you are so, uh, <laughs> and I can't say for sure.
1: <laughs> but I have it has some people want to volunteer to put down yeah. in that hole though to go look around. Right, right, exactly.
2: Yeah. But but it just seems like you know when when we do all this stuff and all of a sudden the earth starts shaking. Let's shut it down and move it somewhere else, and not just deny, deny, deny. Which I understand on the other part because everybody's sue so happy. You know you don't want to. Admit, hey, it could be us because then everybody's going to be suing for their damages. And I mean, we had people with real damages to their homes in our area.
0: Back up for a second. And describe the earthquakes in layman's terms, and then we'll get to science.
2: Science. I mean, what it felt like. Yeah, and I mean, so just what, you
0: know, what kind of earthquakes are we talking about? Are we talking about the China's rattling a little bit? Are no. We talking about the driveway cracks in half and yeah, and it's different from and
2: what and I understand. I've never really been in the California earthquakes where they say it just shakes, shakes, shakes and keeps going. I mean, ours it sounds like an explosion. It's just a, a thump. You know, a quick shake, and then a loud boom comes with it. And, I mean, the one that we had, we were actually watching a scary movie. I was back in my reclining chair. It was at midnight, and all of a sudden there was a boom, and the windows shook like there was an explosion outside. And so I jumped out, and I got up. I was like, oh, it was just an earthquake, you know. And we shouldn't be having to say, oh, it was just an earthquake. But it's like an explosion, and there's an audible boom to it. So there's strange. Is there
0: some physical damage? I mean, you walk in, and all the... Plays on the floor? Or, no, you know, no,
2: not, not that. But some there is, you know, like on the uh, higher structures get more damage because right. the top moves different from the bottom. And one of my friend's house, he has a two-story house, and it has cracks at the top of the brick and the stone from it. And I'm not an earthquake expert or earthquake damage <laughs> expert, but the cracks are bigger at the top of his house, and they get smaller as they go down. Settling is usually the opposite, so. How would you describe him in Irving?
3: Pretty much the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, a lot of times you don't feel them. Uh-huh. And I'll be honest, because we've had so many in that area. I mean, there's been times I'm in bed and the cat jumps on the bed. I'm like, was that an earthquake? Right? <laughs> I mean, everybody's like overreacting now. Anything that moves, it's an earthquake. Um, when we had one of our, our larger, you know, three point, I think it was a 3.5 that we had, I was actually sitting down. And it felt like, I mean, if you have to be sitting down. If you're walking, if you're in your car, you probably aren't going to feel it. But if you're sitting down and it happens, it, it literally feels like somebody hits your house and then it's over. I mean, sometimes it's, you can hear something, sometimes not. But we've got really bad soil in certain areas of, uh, of, our, of our state. In, in my city in particular, it's, we have a drought. We have um, water that came in the, in the spring. And... It's very difficult to pinpoint where some of the damage is coming from. Um, we have had cracks in, in foundations, in, in uh, uh, parking lots, and we don't know what's causing it. Um, what we're trying to figure out, from a mayor's perspective, a representatives, is we have a lot of our citizens who are nervous about this. You know, it, it's nothing that we've had to deal with in years and years and years, and all of a sudden it seems all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Now we haven't really studied this, for and we haven't had the seismographs in the ground to be able to determine whether or not we've had earthquakes in the past or not. So what you might have thought was a truck driving by could have been an earthquake 15, 20 years ago, you know, what you thought was a seismic boom um, when a plane went overhead could have been an earthquake. But now every single time you feel any movement, we're saying it's an earthquake. And I think a lot of people are jumping to conclusions and are ready to define what the problem is without the data to back it. And to me, the most politically expedient thing to do would be to blame a certain industry. Mm-hmm. But if that's not what's causing it, I'm not doing any kind of good by just saying that's what it is and then not following it up to figure out what exactly is the problem. And you know, the questions that we're asking right now is are we gonna have any more earthquakes? Um, is it possible that the uh, activity will be larger than it has been? Um, what we've been told, and I'm not gonna, I am not a seismologist. Let me just put that right out there. I'm not a geologist. But what we've been told is in order to have damage, uh, it's typically over uh, a 4.0 magnitude, and we haven't had that yet.
0: So over a 4 is when you really start to get property damage. 4
3: or 4.5, but I'll let him answer that question. But we haven't had that yet, but is that going to happen? What can we do to potentially prevent or decrease the number that we're having? Those are the questions that we're asking. And as a city council and, and as staff of a city, I would argue we are not the best ones to answer that question.
0: What's the science here? What kind of data do we have? What do we know about earthquake activity, seismic activity now, as opposed to 20 years ago, 40 years ago in the same areas? Is this native to the region? Is this?
4: Yeah. Well, a lot of stuff covered. uh, Probably everybody's pretty familiar. Let me just start with a couple quick things. Uh, So hydraulic fracturing, which has been done for a long time in vertical wells, now being done in horizontal wells to crack rock. by definition, when you hydraulically fracture something, you are causing earthquakes. But they are little, teeny earthquakes. So the, the, the scale is a logarithmic scale, and these are, so you can have a negative number. These are like negative one or negative two, 10 to the negative one. They're very small, you don't feel them at all. They crack the rock deep in the earth, and that's not what's being felt. Now, if you were to do that very close to the surface, you could feel it, but that would be a regulator asleep at the wheel, okay? Right. So that's not what's driving that. Producing the fluids from oil and gas wells, including those that are hydraulically fractured and those that aren't, you do stuff with that fluid. So I was in the oil and gas business for 17 years, and all I found was salt water. So that qualified <laughs> me to be a professor, I guess, but I didn't find much oil and gas, so I've been here 16 years now. But when mostly the oil and gas business is a water handling business. These old oceans that are trapped in these rocks down there and that's what they are. Every little hole is filled with salt water. And when you inject fluid as well, you produce that flow back water and then the formation water. And that's been going on in the oil and gas business forever. And you have to do something with it. You can clean some of it up, reuse it, recycle it. That's a trend now. That's a good trend that's happening. But some of it has to be disposed. So when you inject large volumes of fluid into a disposal well over long periods of time, and again, this is not at high pressure. This is large volumes over long periods. It changes the pressure condition in the earth. Now, that's usually fine. If that pressure change happens to be near a natural geologic fault, and there are a bunch of them in Texas as well, breaks in the earth, and you change that pressure state, that, those rocks can move past one another. And when rocks move past one another, they can cause sound waves that you can sometimes feel the surface. The San Andreas Fault in California is a big one, They're moving laterally and it causes major earthquakes. So, that's kind of the simple science behind it. There are about 7,500 disposal wells in Texas because we have oil and gas activity in lots of places. 7,500. A few of those are potentially associated in time and in space with earthquakes. I almost said the you almost S said, word, you said that. <laughs> but I didn't. With earthquakes. And, and so you have to study this to find out, and, there's, and unfortunately, It's very difficult in science to prove causation this caused that what we usually can do is knock down things that aren't this cause so you start knocking out things that didn't that didn't and what's left standing it's very difficult to say this caused that and it's not because we're wishy-washy or don't like good data and measurements it's just a tough problem causation is a very difficult problem in science texas right now has uh you know about not very many permanent seismometers these are stations that sit out there to measure earthquake activity.
0: What's not very many? 16. 16 for the whole state? For the whole
4: state. And so the state legislature, through leadership of uh, in, on both the Senate and the House and support from mayors and others have uh, funded the purchase of 22 more permanent seismometers. They're going to double the more than double the array. We will deploy those. I'm leading the group that's doing that in the coming year. And we have another 36 that are going to be Portable. So able to respond to activity and events as needed. The oil and gas industry has been very supportive of this. Todd's uh, right. You know, ironically, if maybe it sound ironic to you, but it's not to me, the oil and gas industry actually wants to know what's going on in everything. It doesn't just matter with, with earthquakes. They need a public license to operate. And the way they get that is by responding well to the things that they're involved with. So I've, I've never had our science impacted by the oil and gas industry saying, hey, this is a, a result that we want. They actually want to know the real answer because they've got to live with
0: it. So we don't have a good record if we've only got 16 monitors now. I'm assuming we don't have any kind of a historic record of you know, what's been shaken.
4: Actually, we do. Okay. We do. Um, and I don't want to dominate Well, no, we this, keep, go ahead. So there was a, there was a federal program um, called Earthscope, which was funded through the National Science Foundation. And part of that program was something called Bigfoot and it moved a very dense array of seismometers across the country, starting in the west in California all the way across to the east, and that came through Texas. And so we had a very dense array of of seismometers for two years in Texas, and that gave a pretty good footprint, and this is in the last decade, of of some of the seismic activity, the natural seismic activity in Texas, but they're gone now. And so we want to put seismometers back in lots of those locations and make sure we understand the base level seismicity. Because a lot of seismicity uh, in the Earth is natural. The crust of the Earth is always moving, and things, rocks break. So they cause earthquakes of various magnitudes for, for a variety of reasons. Um, so we'll improve that record. It'll help in lots of different ways, not just oil and gas activity, but uh, disposal of nuclear waste, carbon sequestration, sinkholes out in West Texas, subsidence along the Gulf, just understanding the base level of seismic activity. I didn't say it. You said um, it twice
0: already, but I didn't say it. Oh, I did. I forgot yeah. my. I told him I was going to bring a squirt guy. Guy. Yeah, I didn't buy. buy Yeah, that was it. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry.
1: To, to follow up, though, on, on, on the comments, I mean, the oil and natural gas industry has been supportive of uh, fair and predictable regulations. They support a well-funded railroad commission they support this effort. They were supportive of the rule on seismicity that the railroad commission adopted. They're supportive of uh, rules that the railroad commission adopted on, on well casing. Uh, you, you know, to, to, to eat at a restaurant and become sick, you know it might be easy to blame it on food poisoning. When you might have had a virus, you might have had a flu. There could have been a lot of different things. Right. Uh, and so we want to know those answers just like the public does. It's very, very important. Our companies are, are, are the leading ones in our state and nation. Everyone's judged by the lowest common denominator in any industry, you, you know, whether you're mayor or, or you're an oil company or you're a professor. And so uh, getting the right information and the right standards is the, absolutely the way to go and not making judgments based on out of fear. I mean, people didn't go very far because they were going to fall off the edge
0: of the earth years ago. So we, we just want the right information. So, you know, there's a point where you go from science to politics and there's, I guess there's some kind of tolerance in areas where they are used to drilling for oil and where they're less populated. My wife's from Kermit, Texas, which is out in the middle of the Permian Basin, and they're used to a certain amount of oil activity that people in suburban places aren't accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious about kind of the NIMBY thing, the not-in-my-backyard element of this, and how much can you, you know, how much is this is a difference in tolerance between somebody in West Texas who's been in the oil patch all their life, yeah, we're used to that, and somebody who's in Irving or Hazel or Crum or wherever.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from voters, and, and how's that evolved?
3: Well, I, we don't have any fracking going on in Irving. Right. Uh, and in Dallas County, Irving, we've never had a disposal well. I think um, Dallas
0: County's never had an oil well. I think,
3: well. I'm not
2: sure they've discovered oil there. but. <laughs>
3: But we do have it, you Tinker know. Was
2: looking though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they've looked, yeah. I think at Texas Stadium, didn't they have a couple in the old Texas Stadium site at one time? I there think were, that, that of, was just bragging. Or bra- DFW they Airport. Were just, they were just bragging. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we, sure. had, yeah.
0: we had, we had, right? had two. Yeah. One of them
3: never actually produced. Right. Uh, and the other one's been shut down for years. But we've never had any disposal wells in Dallas County. So you know, whether or not there's, as a city council, there's very little that we can do to, uh, to address the issue. Um, what's going on in our city. I've been charged by my residents to stop fracking in the state of Texas by some. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a charge I take very seriously, and that's why I'm going to the state to talk about it. But, you know, we have a lot of people who are nervous about this.
0: When did it, track it a little bit for me, when did uh, this get to November, be a point of conversation, and and November 23rd.
3: Thirteen is that right? I think November 2013 was when we f- we had a large. It was like a three point. I think that was the largest one we actually had. Was either a 3.5 or a 3.6.
0: Well, he was watching the movies.
3: And and then yeah. all of a sudden this past this past year, um, mm-hmm. they they increased. Now I do want to be very clear. Originally we all thought that they were happening by the old Texas Stadium site, and that's that's why I'm here is because everybody kept saying they were in Irving. But for the record. It has now been reported after months of study that they were actually all happening northeast of Irving. Does anybody know what city is northeast of Irving? It would be Dallas. But the Dallas Morning News will not say that they're happening in Dallas. You need to have Mike Rawlings over here in my seat. But it is something that we are having to deal with now. Um, In what we're trying to do is moving forward as as local uh, legislative uh, officers and representatives is talking with our state and saying, okay, this is state regulated. We need to make sure that we've got funding to put in the seismographs that we need, that we've got the experts within the city, within the state, that are looking at it and providing us with documentation. We as a city don't have the resources to do that. We're going to the state to do it. Um, And I think that's really our our cause of action, and that's what we can do moving forward without overstepping our boundaries. Um,
0: What's the Azle experience?
2: I mean, the city of Azle, we actually have, I think, five gas wells that are owned by the city. We actually built a new fire station from Gaswell proceeds. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, we we paid off our golf course this year from Gaswell proceeds. So we're definitely not against gas exploration. Or, um, and it's funny is the not in the backyard, my backyard thing. People have a different viewpoint on this. It depends if they own mineral rights or not. So of course, those that own the mineral rights are a lot more happy about it. Yeah. Um, Right. Right. But not in my backyard. I mean. We have to get the gas and oil for that part where it's at. I mean, it's not just anywhere. You can't just drill anywhere in the state and pull out gas. It's only in certain places. So we have to get it from where it is if everybody wants to be able to turn on their lights and heat their homes and, and all that. So there is going to be a little bit of dif- discomfort that comes with it. I mean, I don't know how many gas oil permits we issued in our city, but it, it's probably around 20 or more, you know, over the years. And it's like a 30-day operation, really, you know, with the drilling and the fracking, and it's done. It's a little bit inconvenient during the time that it's happening, and there's some, you know, complaints and stuff. I'd tell them, hey, give them 30 days. They'll be out of there. And, and so it's some stuff that we have to put up with just because, like I said, you want the lights to come on when you flip the switch and you want your house to be warm in the wintertime. Right. So you got to get it from where it is. I mean, Denton, I totally disagree with the Denton voters banning fracking in the city. I think that's their, that's their right. If they want to ban fracking, that's fine, ban fracking. But then we also need to cut off those natural gas lines at each end of the city where they can't use it either.
0: Well, you know, Denton's interesting because it's one of the places where the the politics obviously rose to a point where the voters were excited enough to get this on the ballot and vote yeah, on it. Because they don't want
2: it in their backyard. But why do I have to go through the discomfort of dealing with the well at the end of my city for 30 days? So Denton can use our gas, right. and they don't have to do it.
0: Do you have the same level, either of you, do you have the same level of concern from your constituents that they had in Denton? I mean, has this risen to the level of this is item number one or number five, or is it just something?
2: When the earthquakes stop, everybody just kind of forgets about it for the most part. You know, it's just kind of how the American people go. So there, there's no problem, and we forgot that it ever even happened. So I don't get the luxury of forgetting about it. You know, any time there's any railroad commission or anything, I get tons of phone calls from reporters and such. But for the most people, if it's not happening, the people don't say anything.
0: And did you have any kind of earthquakes that you just didn't know what they were before you were blaming it on the oil and gas industry? I mean, was this something like... Yes. In- 2009 in 1999
2: whatever. well no it, I mean in our early ones in 13 or whatever it was it's been a while now so 13 I were your ears, early ones too. yeah 12 or 13 I can't remember <laughs> it's been a while now but uh you know the, our first ones we were just like what's going on you know we had a couple earthquakes one was in a city council meeting and it just felt like somebody kicked your chair right. and then all of a sudden everybody was like wait a second I think that was an earthquake so we had a couple of them and we're like People were calling us saying, what are you going to do? And we're like, what do you mean what are we going to do? It's an earthquake. We're not going to inject, you know, superglue into the earth to make it stop. What do you expect us to do? And then so we started making some phone calls, called the USGS, did a little research, and then came to the conclusion that, hey, this could be man-made and not naturally occurring. And, And that was with, I mean, we talked to USGS in California and looked at some other studies and saw that there's, this has happened before, I I can't remember all the places, but I think Colorado um, many years ago had some earthquakes that they deemed were, you know, man-made and and some other places around the country. And then when I was on the MSNBC, a couple days after, I got calls from all over the United States saying, hey, this happened to us, this happened to us, we stopped the disposal wells and the earthquake stopped. I mean, I want to say it was Pennsylvania, Colorado, I can't remember what other states, one or two other states, people were calling me. So, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, can you ever get that perfect evidence that's going to say this is what's causing it? I don't think so. But if you get that common sense evidence that we did all this and all of a sudden this happened, let's try doing it a little different. And that's all that we want to do. You know, my thinking, because, you know, we hear some of the... uh, industry telling us, well, we don't know if there was earthquakes there before we even started. And that could be the case. So I don't, one of my suggestions was put a seismograph there for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days beforehand, because if that area is experiencing them, you're going to get some minor ones, you know, here and there from my understanding. it's, It's likely not necessarily, you know, 100%, but it could be a safeguard to make sure that there's nothing in that area before you do it. And then on the flip side, too, you know, if the industry's saying, you know, that they're naturally occurring, they're naturally occurring, if that's the case, do we need to make new earthquake regulations? Do Mm -hmm. gas rigs need to be beefier to withstand earthquakes? Does your piping that goes down need to be bigger to withstand earthquakes if we're having naturally occurring earthquakes? Um, Do we need to increase our building standards if these earthquakes are, you know, man-made? you know, to somewhat, you know, maybe not to the scale of California, but, I mean, natural, I mean, I'm sorry. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of other things that if it is natural, needs to be done. You know, we're drilling and we can get groundwater contamination, you know, if an earthquake happens and it breaks the the pipes going down. So
0: So Texoga now has a president who comes out of a political background and understands some of these issues and how people light up on some of these things, you know, whether it's something in Denton or something in Hazel or something in Irving. Um, From Dallas. Or Dallas. <laughs> or Dallas yeah. I've heard it's not Dallas. Um, so, so talk a little bit about the politics of this thing. You're in a situation where you know, you've got the science over here, and you're not exactly clear on yet on whether and how this is being caused, what it comes from, what's going on. And you've got people in an urban or suburban setting who aren't used to these kinds of things. Walk me through the politics of this. Walk me through the next couple of years, sure. how does it go? Well,
1: I, I mean, look, bad information leads to bad policies, and, that, and that's the that's reality. A lot, a lot of what is being dealt with today is, being, is because of bad information and misinformation for, from an element that is just anti-oil and gas and wants to see oil and gas stopped completely, and they're, they're yeah. putting out bad information. And, and I think when you get reasonable people together, you can find the right results. Fracking, for instance, is a term. It is one step in the process of recovery of oil and natural gas. It usually lasts about three to five days. But to the general public today, I think they they deem fracking as to be all-encompassing of oil and gas, no matter if it's refining or LNG or, uh, you know, it's it's fracking.
2: And fracking is the smallest portion of it. I mean, it really has nothing to do with fracking.
1: And and, and what fracking has done has led to an unprecedented level of freedom. Uh, fracking has reduced the amount of oil that's imported to the United States by about 50% in the last eight years. Uh, because of fracking, we're less dependent on countries like Russia and Iran. Because of fracking, the state of Texas and local taxpayers had an additional $15.7 billion because of taxes and royalties that went into state and local coffers. And so, you know, you, 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 you want the right information. When I was a, a freshman state representative, uh, there was a company that was going to put in a sour gas well treating plant in one of my counties. Mm-hmm. And, and we, had a, we had a meeting at the Cayuga High School, and it was like one of those old westerns where at the end, somebody was going to be taken out and hanged, and I was just <laughs> afraid it was going to be me. And it was full of people, but we brought the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality in. We started getting the right facts and the right information. It was close in proximity to a school but now it's been 20 years that industry is going on. The school is thriving. Good things are happening. Because you get the right facts and you have the right rules in place. And I think that's all anyone wants is to make certain there, there are the proper protocols and that they're followed and that we make the right decisions. And it's hard for local leaders, I know. I, I have been on the city council and I've been in different offices. And, you know, what we have to insist upon is that those that are putting out misleading and false information, is, you know, we have to tell our constituents what the facts are, and those facts are not right that they're sharing.
0: What's the proper place for the regulatory and political fix on this? You know, the, the HB 40 during the last legislative session that Drew Darby had kind of took, away, took it away from Denton. Um, Denton was trying to assert local control over this. What, where on that um, scale should this be? Should these be local decisions? Should these be state decisions? You're on a regional council. Should it be a regional thing so you can blame Dallas a little bit? Uh, where, where do you all think? <laughs>
3: You know, I, I think you elect local representatives to do you know, what, what we do as a city government. Um, when you've got issues like fracking or regional transportation, you have to have a voice in it, but there's it's all-encompassing, and I don't know that we have the resources to be able to – I know we don't have the resources to be able to address the issue. Now, whether or not as a council you want to pass uh, uh, different zoning requirements, that could In essence, make it almost impossible to be able to drill in your city. You do have currently have the ability to do that. I think when you say you don't, you you can't put out a ban. We have a lot of things that we can't put a a broad brush stroke to, but you do still retain those powers of being able to legislate uh, locally what uh, uh, zoning cases that you see and what you're going to have. So you still do retain a little bit, despite of uh, HB 40. Now, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. We look at the state to be able to regulate some of these larger issues. Uh, and I personally did not come down and fight HB 40. What I did was I came down and I fought for funding for some more studies. And I think that's the first place that we needed to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Is, is the seismological stuff expensive? We only have 16 yeah. stations. Very is there a expensive. reason for that?
4: Yeah. <laughs> oh, let, me about, let me come back to this just real quick, sure. too. So I, I do a lot of... Speaking and things. Less than 24 hours ago, I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, on a panel. Well, it was me and the Minister of Energy in BC talking about this topic to a big crowd, because BC is an environmental province, internationally recognized for that. But they're looking at exporting LNG to the world, which is a huge industrial process. And the week before, I was up in DC at the North American Gas Forum, and they, they, one of the legislators there, federal folks, coined a new term called "nope." So nope. it supersedes NIMBY and Banana. Nope, is not on planet Earth. So- What's, what's uh, Banana? Yeah, Banana is build absolutely nothing anywhere never ever again. So uh, <laughs> you got NIMBY, Banana, Nope, and it continues. I think the thing, though, yesterday, we had a, a lot of students in the room as well. And so you're visiting about some tough problems. they are scientific and engineering problems. they are political problems. they are industrial problems. Right. NGOs want to weigh in and should. Uh, and thoughtful ones are very uh, useful and helpful in this conversation. So here you have this intersection of these different groups. And at the middle of that intersection is a very small area that I call the radical middle. And it's radical because there's nobody there, okay? It would be nice like this to have legislators and industry and academics and governments and, and NGOs coming together to take on these tough problems. There's no perfect answer. There's no perfect form of energy. Uh, now and then you're going to feel an earthquake, probably, a few out of 7,500. Nobody likes that. You don't like hearing thump when you're watching a scary movie. And for the most part, it doesn't have to happen. It's going to cost a little bit more to get out in front of your disposal well. you've got to make sure you don't put that industry out of business. A lot of them aren't the big oil and gas companies. They're small mom and pops that are drilling these disposal wells for a living, a few of them. Um, so you know, as a, as a guy who kind of sits in the government industry and academic space, I don't even like myself, <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> wake up in the morning saying, can't we figure out some ways to make this happen with compromises, realize we're not always right? And, and I think the absolute answer to that is yes. And I'm passionate about doing that. And this, this hydraulic fracturing production, potential seismicity is one of those areas that brings all of those uh, right to bear. Um, the governor of, of Colorado is the only geologist who's a governor, uh, John Hickenlooper, he's a friend, and when John's asked publicly, is it energy or the environment? He says, yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And, and, and as a scientist, that's my answer as well, yes. These things absolutely work together along with the economy. That waltz goes on continually, and it's a delicate dance. But We have to figure it out. So the concept of shutting in all oil and gas wells is fanciful. Uh, You know, the concept of small municipalities regulating their own industry is interesting. But I appreciate what you said. You just you don't obviously have the infrastructure and the capacity to kind of look at all of that. Now, should it be a federal thing? My my thoughts on that are no, not as much. Because it's a big country. And our states are about the size of most countries in the world. And so the geology is different, the industry has different resources, there's different alternates to that. So a federal solution imposed on all the states just doesn't work, it can't. So it comes kind of down to that state level, I think. It makes good sense for regulating. Um, That wasn't your question to me, but I do about 75 of these a year. Mm -hmm. And I get to hear a lot. And so I thought I'd share some of that.
0: With well, it takes you. me one of the places I wanted to go, um, which is as we discover oil and gas in places we haven't discovered it before. Are we going to be working in urban and suburban areas in your industry more than we have been? And you know, now that you've seen in you know this particular set of episodes how that political interface works, you know, it's different running an operation in you know, rural Andrews County of West Texas than it is running it somewhere in Dallas County or Tarrant County or something like that. Are we going to see more of this in urban areas? We're not just fracking, but oil and gas production, oil and gas issues, and this kind of political them and us interface? At $40 all, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> this job's a lot more fun at $100 all than it is
1: 40 right. You know, I mean, yeah, look, I, uh, we, we all recognize that you, 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 you drive differently in the city than you do in the wide open country, you go slower, you have more frequent stops. I think the same analogy is true in the exploration of oil and gas. You, you, you recognize you're in a different environment. You have sound barriers. You have uh, traffic issues that you manage, lighting issues that you manage, and so the industry I- I has been willing and, and trying to be, is very accommodating in that environment. You know, the, the reality of what we're talking about, though, a real fundamental issue is, that it is the right to own and use private property. And the United States, the reason why we all enjoy this grand economy that we have today, we go to great universities like we're here today, or, or many others. In fact, this building that we're in, the Robert Welch building, was built by a person who made his money in the oil business, and that's why we're
4: sitting in here today. Are we recording this? I want you to say that again. This great university we're I, sitting I, in I, now. I uh, heard him to say that. Yeah, He's ring on his finger. Yeah. Well, uh, I paid mean. for one degree here
1: and part <laughs> of another degree here. So... <laughs> But I will be in College Station, Kyle
0: Field, here real shortly. But, but going forward, I mean, but, but, I mean, specifically going forward, are we going to see more oil and gas activity at some price yeah. in urban and suburban environments? And how's, what are the best ways to deal with it? I mean, well, from well, a mayor's perspective, from an oil the perspective.
1: The one point that I wanted to make on that was this. If you really just don't want oil and gas activity in your city, cities still retain the ability to manage that, buy it. That is a private property, right, that some family owns or someone owns that mineral interest. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't want that being recovered, then you have the ability as a municipality to go in there and just buy that property. Uh, that, but, but short of that, recognizing what the mayor said, we like our lights on, we like affordable energy prices, we can find that balance, and I think it will be as we continue to be an urban state, uh, as uh, politics change, we have to do, I think the, the, the way we address that is through education. Mm-hmm. Uh, information and making certain it's right,
0: and that's what that appropriation that Darby worked on was, is all about. Okay. So somebody calls you as a mayor
3: yeah.
0: and says, you know, um, something scared the quiz out of me during a movie last night. What are you doing about it?
3: Well, and what we're, we're saying is that we're trying to find the answers to it. I mean, we can sit here and blame an industry, but without having the data to be able to find out that's actually what is going to be the solution. We can say that we're going to do this. We do it, and then tomorrow it turns out to be something else. I think we've shortchanged everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think it's, 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 it's perfectly acceptable to try to educate, and we've tried to do that on our website. You know, we're connecting with a lot of the universities. We're putting facts out there. We need to know how to be proactive in getting that information out right. as well as being reactive in what to do with that information. So, do you have stricter building codes? Do you have stricter zoning issues, um, where you're going to allow it and where you're not going to allow it? Um, do you take into account that for insurance purposes, and do you work with the industry and how and how you know are, are you working back and forth? Um, from the position I'm in right now, I, there are probably about half a dozen citizens. And I don't know if you have the same thing, if it's about a half a dozen citizens that are um, very knowledgeable in this topic, and they email you a lot. That was
0: so diplomatic. They're very knowledgeable.
3: <laughs> They're very knowledgeable on this topic, and they email you a tremendous amount of data. What we're trying to do is sift through the data of assumptions and put out the facts.
0: Is it an election issue for you yet? Uh, you
3: know,
0: or, for your, or for your council member? No. Um,
3: you, you expect we, we've had work. a lot of things that are uh, on our plate right now, dealing with uh, lots of I've
0: heard about some of those. Lots of
3: potential election issues, but this is not one of them. Um, It's
0: not up there with clocks yet. Well, potentially,
3: I mean, I hate to... Oh, you just had to go there, didn't you? (laughs) Um, But potentially, I mean, when you're looking at the magnitude, and the mayor of Azel is is quite correct in saying it's happening so often now that people aren't really even reacting to it. We had a town Hmm. hall meeting back in January, and we had had this town hall meeting scheduled for about six weeks. Um, That day, we had four earthquakes, Now, typically when we have town hall meetings, we'll have 35, 45 people. We had over 500 that came. Uh, The space that we had was inadequate. So we ended up having like two town hall meetings. I was rushing into the auditorium, and then I was rushing into the hallway and talking to both. Um, Mm -hmm. So we had initially a lot of of, uh, reaction to it and a lot of questions to it. As time has gone by, and they have been uh, frequent, but not to a magnitude that's caused any noticeable uh, uh, property damage, the interest in it has waned. Okay. Now, that being said, if the fre- frequency increases, if the magnitude increases, we're going to have a lot of um, um, nervous and anxious citizens on our hands. Uh, moving forward, we need to find out is this something that we need to react to, um, proactive, react to with, with building standards, with zoning cases. Right now, what we're trying to do is proactively go ahead and find out what that information is.
0: Political issue in ASL yet?
2: You no, know, not at this time, not as long as they... Stop. You know, it was at the time that we were having them. I mean, I think we were the only city to actually have a town hall meeting where the Railroad Commission came to Azel and held a town hall meeting, which to me that tells me that they know it's a possibility that it could be caused by, you know, the industry. Otherwise, they'd say, what are you guys talking about? You know, leave us alone. We we don't deal with earthquakes. We're oil and gas. But they came out, so there's obviously, I don't know if they meant to or not, but they realized that it's a possibility that the oil and gas industry is, is causing them. So, um, you know, my opinion is, you know, the disposal wells just turned down the dials a little bit, you know, and they all stopped. And as long as they stay stopped, that's fine with us. We're not, you don't have to shut down. All you have to do is not cause earthquakes. So if you can find that special pressure and volume that's not doing it, we're great, you know.
0: Is there a case that you know of, I know this is non-scientific, it's anecdotal, but is there a case where you know of where somebody
2: did this and then that happened? Um. From the data, I think we did have a spike in some pressures and volumes um, at the end of the year when they kind of started in our area. I don't have the data with me, but I know that there was some increases in pressures and volumes when about the time that they started.
0: And
4: do you guys
2: know of a case like that? Me? Yeah, he
4: <laughs> um, Immediate cause and effect, no, like that. But. But certainly, you know, over some period of time, right. you know, there's a, if, if there are places that have been aseismic, no seismicity, injection has, disposal has begun, mm-hmm. X period of time later something happens, it's not a cause and effect, but you start looking at timing, and you start looking at depth, and right. you start looking at magnitude right. and response, unfortunately there's no perfect wave you know, seismic wave that will tell you this one was induced and this one was... Okay. There's
0: a microphone here and a microphone here if you guys have questions. Let me ask one more thing just to go back. Okay. Can I comment on one of the... Th- it, this let, is let, a, let me ask you okay. this real quick. Kay. Is the seismic meter expensive?
4: No. I mean, yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, is this a thing where any city <laughs> yeah. with this problem could... It is make, if I'm buying it, <laughs> but... <laughs> well, but uh, Can
0: anybody put the equipment in and just say, okay, here's where we're going to measure our you're,
4: Yeah, you're looking at thirty to $50,000 per seismometer uh-huh. in that range. But then you have to be able to
0: right. read it, right. you know. I'd right, right. love Somebody a Maserati, to to it but
4: it can analyze it. Analyze it to drive it. it. Collect right. Information. Right.
1: Turning the screws, it doesn't cost very so, so you much. Know so what
0: does that cost to do? Is that an expensive proposition?
4: Well, you, to actually understand the data.
0: Right, or just get, get the data rolling. You have you know, to have but,
4: experts. Right. I mean, you have to have people whose job it is. So we're, we have some at UT. We're collaborating with SMU and A&M, and and we are hiring a couple. We have had great response to our ad for talent. So we'll be hiring a couple folks. And we're putting together a team. It's an integrated technical team of geologists, engineers, seismologists. There's communications people. There's a civil engineer to understand the actual damage risk. Because just because something happens doesn't mean it's going to damage something, necessarily. It depends on how structures are built and what's there. We even have a psychologist on the team. Uh, If you've ever heard NPR, uh, two guys on your head, Dr. Art Markman is on our team and Art's going to be doing surveys and studying the public response to this kind of thing. And, and so we've got a great group of folks okay. bringing together here. Right, got a question up here. Hi, I'm uh,
2: Luke Metzger with Environmental Texas. Uh, Dr. Tinker, in December you told the Houston Chronicle editorial board uh, that the state should adopt um, some practices to help minimize the damage from fracking, including limiting flaring and venting, recycling frack water, et cetera. The legislature ignored you and instead went in the opposite direction and uh, stomped out the rights of cities to even adopt some basic regulations on fracking. Uh, but I wonder whether you think at least your own institution, UT, which leases you know, more than a million acres of land for fracking, should adopt some of your own recommendations.
4: Yeah, it's 2.1 million university lands, and it's for UT and A&M, both uh, system. And it actually has pretty strict regulations. If The university can't impose regulations. I mean, we not? don't we don't regulate operators you could put at least provisions into the leases with there, the operators there are good there are pretty good you know there's a report that came out you're probably referencing uh, a Luke, that that actually had lots of factual error in it um, it was passionate but passion doesn't always lead to good science and i think that uh, that the university does in its leases have a pretty good set of records and are, and they're going to you know but not the, the ones you're recommending I recommended that that all hydraulic fracturing look to continue to improve, and it is. So we've only talked about earthquakes here, but there's water, there's natural occurring radioactive materials, as you've mentioned, Uh, there's flaring. Um, There's other issues, most of them related not to the fracking itself again, but to production of oil and gas through well bores. And I think those standards should always continue to improve to some normal, some reasonable level so that it protects citizens from any environmental damage or risk of that. It can't ever be perfect. No industrial process is. But I think the trends are good. You know, again, I go back and say the industry actually wants to do this as well so they continue to maintain the public license to operate. And so I look at, I can go across those one at a time, and the trends are all pretty good on that, actually, directionally. Um, the, the challenge, I think, that I see with the with risk here um, we'll go back and look at Macondo for a second, the big offshore spill that BP, and I was on their science council at the time. I, I don't have the numbers exactly right, but I think it's been $55 billion so far that the federal government has uh, removed from BP because of that one event. And that was an in, that's an interesting ongoing set of, of monetary uh, outpouring you can argue about the damage that was actually caused versus what potentially could have been caused from that and whether or not the industry was prepared for that particular kind of failure. Uh, it is now, but it wasn't then and didn't know that it could happen. I think the risk that operators see with hydraulic fracturing and then the producing and potential disposal and potential earthquakes is one event might cause a local set of earthquakes. And I think probably a company might be willing to take responsibility for that if, in fact, that could be definitely shown. But then to have the imposition of 7,500 disposal wells, they all cause earthquakes. And so there's, this, there's a set of extremes that go on as a result of an event. And I think regulators and policymakers really need to think about how to properly cost that risk and damage as opposed to the huge set of open-ended things that goes on when an event happens.
0: Okay. Let's get into a couple more questions, wouldn't it? Uh, Thank you to the panel for being here today. Uh, I teach political science at Lone Star College, and in our discipline, there's research that looks at what's called boundary setting. Uh, specifically in wildlife management, where there's conflict between academic scientists, industrial scientists, and government scientists. And I'm just curious, have any of you experienced conflict between different science, scientists coming from different backgrounds, uh, dealing with the fracking issue? And if so, how has it affected the policy discussion? Everybody agrees about this, right? <laughs> have you gotten different kinds of, you know, this is a scientist A, scientist B, scientist C. Yes. They don't agree? <laughs>
3: <laughs> There's a lot of conflicting data out there. Yeah.
4: That's what science is supposed to do. Well, so you can't, science can't come to consensus well, that's would, a, by definition. Okay, so science is designed to always question and to always challenge and to always test. Real science. I would okay? agree. So I think that's a, the, a very healthy set of discussions that goes on and needs to continue to go on so that we always improve.
0: Well, oh, I, I agree that that is what you said is true. It's just that when you represent different interests, sometimes those people that are funding your research don't necessarily.
4: I don't think it has anything to do with funding. OK. I think it has to do with the, the source of your own beliefs. Okay. And, and so whether the funding is coming from Exxon or the Sierra <laughs> Club, well, actually, Exxon tends to be more interested in the actual results than the Sierra Club, to be candid. Uh, but I don't think the source of the funding is really the issue here. I think you do need to disclose if you have become uh, actively engaged in an outcome. And so if you go to activism, and we are all entitled as individuals to do that, but if I'm an activist on a topic, I have lost my objectivity.
1: And I I think that's the premise that so Much much of this is approached from today from one extreme to the other, and not from the position that you can be both pro jobs and pro environment at the same time, and they're not mutually exclusive. And you, you can accomplish both goals, and that, that's why Texas has been successful as a state, is because they've, they've embraced that philosophy, and I, I hope that's what carries us forward. Okay. Well, and
2: we have seen some of that, you know, from what he's saying. I mean, X, SMU did their study, and they say, you know, yeah. the most probable causes from oil, oil and awesome. gas, but then oil I mean. And gas disposable. Well, the production and disposal
4: I think, is study the think SMU study.
1: Said oil and gas disposal wells, and they said it's been mischaracterized that it's from fracking as a causation.
4: And, I, and, I and did. the
2: causation. Yeah. I Yeah, yeah, But they also said a combination of the two did it not? I think, it, in I think their it was study, pretty clear, and they they expressed
1: so. a great deal of frustration. But it's it's a great example here of how once it's said, it's like the arrow that shot; you can't right. get it back. And then that's all people hear, and, right. and they and they base their decisions on you know, information that's been mischaracterized. But you do
2: have those scientists doing that study, and then I've met with the scientists from the industry who are telling me, well, this is why their study's not right. So, you know, and and they have a little bit of interest to disprove the study, I understand that. But, you know, it it does happen from what he was saying. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I came here with the topic of a reality check, thinking I'd hear a little bit more than just about the earthquakes and the the
4: movement of the earth. And I really did want to touch on the water quality and what things are in place in the communities and throughout the state of Texas. My concern as a parent is, of course, about the water and not as much about the shaking of the earth. I mean, forcefully putting these chemicals in the earth, I don't know. I'm, I'm very concerned about our water quality. Could you touch on it a bit?
2: Well, you'll have to talk to the state about it because they said that we don't have anything to do with it anymore, so. <laughs> <laughs>
3: after,
2: after House Bill 40.
1: I, I, I'll, be, I'll be happy to, to do that. Actually, the state does have uh, very uh, aggressive rules that requires multiple layers of cement and steel casing to ensure that the groundwater is protected. I know there's been... Uh, False studies or studies that have been proven uh, to be inaccurate about water contamination. The Environmental Protection Agency actually says that when fracking is done uh, within the appropriate confines that there's not any damage. Just this last couple of weeks, uh, Yale University came out with a study that said there hasn't been any Inclusive information showing that it's damaging the water. So you have
0: had a couple of operations in Texas that did not stay within those confines though, right? If, if there's a failure I mean, her, concern, the system, her concerns come from some specific yeah. incidents, right? I don't know.
1: Concerns like let these. Let her, well, I, I think that's why you have a railroad commission that does require pressure testing on the wells and there there are tests that can be occurred. But when you see you know, videos of people lighting their fire hoses and, and there's naturally occurring methane in those water wells anyway, that's what misleads the public and that's how you get bad policies. And, and those have been very well documented that those are out there. Uh, at the one instance uh, he hooked up a, a water hose to the relief valve on his water well.
0: But it's not all the gas land thing. I mean, some of this is there have been some water quality problems with some wells and some operators in Texas. Is that right? Which ones? I'm you're not aware of any. I'm, I'm, I'm aware that if there. Hold on
1: a minute. You're not aware I, of any. I, I can't name you a specific instance where that has occurred.
4: Okay. Well, where it does occur, and I think, so let's 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 kind of constrain the problem a little bit. Um, I think the thing Todd's referring to in Gasland <laughs> is when the guy with, you know, lights his sink on fire, mm-hmm. and then, and then you go back and interview him and say, Oh yeah, we've been lighting that sink on fire for forty years, um, and so. You know, it's a little disingenuous to try to draw the link between recent hydraulic fracturing and that. Methane occurs in water, it can. That said, um, the risk of hydraulic fracturing contaminating major groundwater systems on a regional scale is excessively low, again, because it's done at depth and there's a lot of rock. Now if you produce those fluids, forget the fracking part, to the surface, Todd described well, the casing and the cement that bounds the casing to protect the aquifer. But on occasion, those fail. The cement job wasn't good. There's be- it's getting better, directionally back to Luke's original question. The directions are- continue to get better. But on occasion, those fail so you can locally leak into the aquifer. That needs to be caught, shut in, and rather than set policy o- over individual behavior, you punish the operator. Mm-hmm. Those who failed to honor their permits And the laws that they agreed to follow when they operated need to be punished or even put out of business. Mm -hmm. End of story, in my opinion, and I can say what I want because I'm not elected. Okay? (laughs) But you don't go after the whole industry for a practice that's failed behavior. It'd be like when when I was flying home last night and we took off from Denver and then we lost altitude and you hear the gear come down. And the pilot got on and said, we had hot gear on landing. We're cooling it for a while. That made us all feel better. (laughs) Uh, But we're not going to shut down the whole airline industry yesterday because we had to cool our cooling gear. And and, and so that may be not a great analogy, but I think it's very important to make sure that the industry actors perform well. And if they don't, they should not be allowed to operate. There will be cases where they don't. And we got to take those folks out of the business, okay? but not the whole industry. So locally, it can happen. It's pretty rare, but it can happen.
0: I think our time is about up. Um, Beth Van Dyne, Todd Staples, Scott Tinker, and Alan Brundette. We're out of time. Uh, But I bet that guy will ask you questions when we're walking out of here. Thank you all very much for coming. (laughs) Have fun with your next
1: time.